hurt, tortured, even killed for who we are or the jobs we do, then we will come out and stand against it. Because that is not okay. As you may have gathered from that audio, I was at York University being protested by students on the issue of prostitution or sex work, as they would label it. I'm known as an advocate for the Nordic model, also known as the abolitionist model, a set of laws that have been adopted by various countries since 1999 that looks to reduce and eliminate the harms of the sex trade by criminalising the demand, almost always men, and decriminalising the women in prostitution, usually women. Now, Unison, the UK's largest union, serving more than 1.3 million members that represent a number of women in part-time roles who provide public services, held its support for the Nordic model for 12 years. It was introduced by feminists within the union movement. And I'm appalled to say that in June this year, it voted at its national conference to drop its support for this model how a union could lend its support to sex trade profiteers and punters, as opposed to the disenfranchised women caught up in prostitution, I do not know. But who better to speak about this issue than my friend Selena Todd, Professor of Modern History at Oxford University and a specialist in the history of modern Britain. Her research on the history of working class women's lives is next to none. You can catch her speaking about these issues at public events such as those hosted by Women's Place UK. It's it's absolutely shocking. Um, Why on earth would a union consider prostitution to be sex work? Yeah, it begs belief, doesn't it? And I think it's... it's, it's, This phrase, sex work... I think is cheap and shallow and just is never interrogated enough um, by these people who claim to represent workers. To my mind, prostitution is fundamentally different from selling your labour, which is what that union and all other unions are about, um, helping people to protect their right to sell their labour, their right to do that in free and fair conditions, their right to have some say, some negotiating power, over the conditions in which they do that and the price that they charge for their labour. And if they just sat down and thought about that, about those fundamentals of trade unionism, they would see immediately that you cannot think about prostituted women as being in that category because they are in a position where, and as we know, largely because of your own valuable work and research, they are never doing it as, as, as free choice. They're not even doing it with the limited amount of agency that most workers who sell their labour power are doing. Like, it's impossible, right, for somebody who works in a call centre on the whole to say, well, I'm just going to stop working in a call centre because um, if they can't pay the fuel bills and feed their kids, then they can't just stop doing that. Um, But there is a fundamental difference because what we do know is that prostituted women tend to be in the most desperate of circumstances um, and they tend not to have other options open to them. 
So um, they're not in the same position as workers who are selling labour power. And also they're not selling their labour. They're basically putting their bodies in the most vulnerable position out there. And there is something really different about giving somebody else access to your body than there is selling your labour power. You can never leave your body. Your body isn't separate from you. It's not something that you can give or withhold in that situation. It's, it, you're, you're giving it over. And so this idea of sex work and sex workers sort of relies, doesn't it, on this idea that somehow um, if there was you know, a proper labour movement for prostituted women, they would be able to um, exert the same limited rights um, that other waged workers do. But, but exactly what does that look like if, if you're a prostituted woman? You know, like, like how do you um, say to a man, well, you can do this to me, but you can't do that? You know, who's, who's, who's going to police that for starters? Um, and what we know is that in systems where prostitution is fully legalised, that, that, that's absolutely not the case. That doesn't happen. That what happens is that men's demands get more and more and more extreme and that uh, women who are in prostitution are placed under increasing pressure to meet those demands. Um, and in a way, that's no surprise because the other thing is that the whole basis of prostitution is based on this absolute misnomer that men have an innate need to have sex and that somehow that need has to be met. And it's that presumption that, that a socialist should be challenging because if we believe that, then we are saying absolutely fundamentally that men and women can never be equal because men have this incredible sex drive that women somehow have to meet. That's completely unacceptable. Well, that's really interesting because I was um, reviewing Louise Perry's book, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, and it's had a lot of traction. And Louise is a really good feminist campaigner against the rough sex defence where men have killed women and claimed that it was something that she was asking for. Uh, and Louise is really clear about sexual exploitation, which includes surrogacy, for example, which I see um, as very similar to systems of prostitution. But I think some of the arguments that she uses in her book about you can't really tame the beast, you've just got to contain them, about men's sexual desire, um, is almost similar to some of the arguments that she abhors, by the way, that pro-sex work campaigners use. Men need and want more sex, therefore there should be a subclass of women, which is what they mean, offering it. And do you remember an academic called Catherine Hakim who spouted this nonsense? She called it the sex deficit, where there's this surplus um, that there are all these men that are desperate to get their rocks off. And so there should be prostituted women in order to satisfy that because women, their wives, girlfriends, regular sexual partners don't want to give as much sex as they want. Well, what do we call it as feminists when men are having sex with women who don't want as much sex as them? I thought we exactly. had a word for that, didn't we? Exactly. And this is the thing that this whole very easy rhetoric around, oh, sex work is work, that actually if you unpack it, where you get to is this really ugly place, which is men have to have unfettered access 
to women um, and that consent should mean, as it kind of does currently in legal terms, and I think you, you would agree that, that the law is really flawed here, that consent basically means that um, the woman really has to prove that she has said no time and time again, because the presumption is that women's sexual consent is there, is given, mm -hmm. unless she can absolutely prove otherwise. So it opens up this whole kind of um, really horrendously unequal um, society in which men have this huge sex drive and women are essentially there to meet it. And, and to my mind, one of the arguments that, that I get really angry about that's made by those who say, well, sex work is work, is that anyone who talks about prostituted women or about women wanting to escape prostitution or prostitution being highly exploitative, women really dangerous for them, um, is, is somehow victimising women. But the people who are victimising women are the people who are saying, well, you know, we just have to accept that men have this huge sex drive and that, and that women just have to you know, um, passively get on um, with, with satisfying it or believe that their only agency is to have some sort of say over the kind of sexual positions that they adopt. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. I mean, let's look at what unions are and what they are supposed to do. What's the function of a union? Well, this is a really great question because I think a lot of unions seem to have forgotten it. Um, it but basically, unions are there to represent workers um, and to assist workers with collective bargaining on things like pay and conditions. That's fundamentally what they're about. So the idea is that they're, they're a collective um, and they came about because of the idea that if one worker withdraws his or her labour, then an employer might just get another worker in. But if you all stand together and say, we're all going to withdraw our labour unless you negotiate, then you have some collective power. Right. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when the International Union of Sex Workers was set up as a branch of the GMB back in, I think it was 2002 or three, it was not international it was not a union and the so-called sex workers involved were primarily academics researching from a very neoliberal pro-prostitution perspective the sex trade there were punters there were bosses for example the spokesperson who even had his own comment is free page at the guardian for a while was Douglas Fox. He fronted the International Union of Sex Workers and he ran one of the biggest escort agencies along with his partner in Newcastle. So he was a pimp, but he called himself a sex worker probably because he kind of was a bit of a tourist in and out occasionally selling sex. But he was running the women. But this so-called union what they would do is they would go around the country and actually they would often turn up at uh, international events I was at, despite the fact that they were allied to a, a UK-based union. And they would talk about being sex workers, having rights as workers, sex work is work. And whenever I asked any of the spokespeople what they did in prostitution, it was always the same. One of them had done a PhD on phone sex. So do you remember that from the 90s? So they... She'd, she'd sat on the end of a phone sex line saying, oh, big boy, you know, I've got my tits out or whatever. And so she was doing it for academic purposes. Somebody else was a dominatrix, in other words, no sexual contact, contact 
um, booting some punter up, up the arse with her spiked heels for 250 quid. And then there was Douglas Fox, who was a manager. And so the only people that were vaguely involved in the sex trade in that so-called union branch were a few erotic dancers who, yes, I would, I would definitely class stripping as part of the sex trade, but representative of the tens of thousands of prostituted women in this country? I don't think so. What could a union do for them? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is, this is the thing, isn't it? Because so many of the people who argue that sex work is work would say that um, you and I are uh, privileged white women who have no right to speak about any other women in the whole world ever. Um, and yet, actually, when you look at the putative attempts, supposed attempts at unionisation of prostituted women, it's always like this. It's always those few. And when you look at those who advocate sex workers' work, you know, what's the group they always bring up? Well, students. You know, students want to do it, and they don't need to be shamed by their tutors for doing it. And you think... Yes. Helping people to get out of prostitution is not shaming. <laughs> I yeah, and anyway, as a work, someone who grew up working class, as I know you did, I wanted to go to university so I didn't have to go into prostitution. And then, you know, when I went to your university, one of the, the usual kind of deplatforming um, attempts, I was told that um, I devoted my entire career to the genocide of sex workers by supporting the Nordic model. I just want to tell you a couple of examples um, that I found about fake unions and, and ask what you think as a socialist that this argument is put forward that we should support the sex industry. I mean, we all know what we think about the tobacco industry, don't we? And how it targets. We all know what we think about Starbucks and Coca-Cola. But let's, let's just shelve that for a minute uh, while I tell you what happened in Cambodia when I visited to interview women in prostitution. Their union representative, because they were in, in something that was using the language of unionisation, turned up to meet with me with an interpreter because none of the women um, spoke English. These were Cambodian women who had been abused sideways. One of them had HIV and was being forced to prostitute with HIV. Two of the women had been impregnated by punters and had and were caring for those children that were born of punters and they were all terribly fragile and I was talking to them through this interpreter and the union representative and the union by the way was funded by the Open Society Foundation that funds a lot of these organisations um, in the global south and she kept interrupting when I was asking about how they cope with the trauma and the abuse um, what would they like to do um, as an alternative to prostitution? Can they imagine the future? All of those things um, that I really needed to engage with the women on. And this woman kept cutting in and saying, yes, they, they are proud sex workers, rights activists. Some of them are coming with me to a conference in Vietnam and we're going to speak about how we need empowerment for sex workers and we need blanket decriminalisation of the sex trade. And then one of the prostituted women started talking at length and my, my translator that I had with me gave it to me word for word later. She'd asked permission to record it. She gave it to me word for word later. The woman said, none of us want to be in prostitution. What does she mean, sex workers? We don't use that term. 
What does she mean client? We don't use that term either. We hate the men. We hate the Johns. All we need is 200 US dollars and we can get the paperwork so we can work in kitchens, in restaurants and in hotels. We are desperate to get out. None of them understood that they were in a union. And you know what uh, the woman, the union rep said to me when I asked what is the benefit for these women? What, what exactly do they get from paying their few pence every month to be members? She said if one of them is murdered or dies, we pay for their funeral. For their family. Then there's another one in Holland, it's now disbanded, it was set up by the Dutch government to promote legalised prostitution called the Red Thread, Rody Dread, and there were only a hundred members at its height out of 25,000 prostituted people across um, Holland, and they were erotic dancers, again, not representative, and it was a front really for look how we have unionised people. Prostituted people don't want to be told it's work. They want to see how they can get out. But their job is sexual harassment. And isn't that the job, in the main, of unions with their female workers in particular? Absolutely, absolutely. This is the thing, that the whole point of prostitution is it cannot be made in any way uh, equal or valuable work or safe work for women. Because if a union's job is to negotiate working conditions and pay and so on. What does that look like in prostitution? How exactly would that work? Because A, usually you're dealing with um, a woman and a punter in a really unsafe situation that could go wrong. So with no union rep in the wardrobe about to jump out and help her. And then the other thing, and this goes back to something that you said earlier about one of the um, pimps, I think it was, that you said that you've met, who was also a bit of a tourist and therefore was identifying himself as a sex worker. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see that a lot, don't you? So the issue with, I mean, you have this with some unions, you know, the union that represents the universities and, and colleges in the UK can represent everybody from managers to uh, a casualised lecturer. And, and, yes. and you get that a lot. Now, in prostitution, that really matters because who draws the boundaries? You know, do you have those who are, because we all know that those who own brothels are very often also prostitutes. We also know that pimps themselves can be tourists within the sex trade. So, so it, where do you draw the lines? You know, who right. do you think, whose interests are we representing people here? I mean, there's, just, well, there's no way. And as you say, the, bo the bottom line is, Lots of workers might want to might want to get out of their of their job, but the thing is that prostituted women are very very often kept in that job um, by force or by dependency on pimp for drugs or by threats or by fear or by violence. So the organisations that they need are precisely organisations that are assisting them in mm -hmm. getting out of what is by any stretch of the imagination, an incredibly violent and exploitative, quote-unquote, trade. Absolutely. And tell me the socialist case against supporting the sex trade. Because what's been said to me by, you know, Kenneth Roth, head of Human Rights Watch, a white, rich um, man, is that you shouldn't really take the food out of women's mouths when that's their only alternative. Of course, my friend and colleague, Rachel Moran, a sex trade survivor, said famously, the thing to do when a woman is hungry is put food in her mouth and not your cock. But tell me the socialist case against supporting the sex trade. Well, I think the case that you've just put there 
you know, by the guy saying, oh, well, you know, you're taking food out of women's mouths unless, you know, you, uh, you, you go along with this. It's, it's like absolute rubbish because taking the British labour movement as an example, from its earliest days, it's argued that certain classes of people should not be doing certain jobs or shouldn't be working at all. I mean, it was the British labour movement that got child labour outlawed in the 19th century. Yeah. And it was the British labour movement that, with which includes and has always included feminists, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, um, that pushed for things like uh, maternity leave, that pushed for pregnant women not to be put in situations that were unsafe to them um, in terms of workplaces, all the rest of it. So it's never been the case that the job of socialists has been to say, yay, everybody go to work. I mean, part of the job of socialism has always been saying, when is work so exploitative that it just shouldn't be allowed, either because of the nature of the job or because of because for certain classes of people, that's that's just not a job which is which is right for them. Um, right. In the case of, of, of prostitution, the fact is it is inherently incredibly exploitative. You are asking women to make themselves incredibly vulnerable. They're not selling their labour power. They are giving over access to their bodies. Um, that brings with it huge risks of all kinds. But the other case for it as well is that I can never separate um, socialism and feminism. To me, they're, they're very intertwined. And if we're going to talk about creating a more equal world, it has to be equal between women and men. And there is, we all know that the vast, vast, vast majority of punters male and that the vast majority of prostituted people is female, and, and saying that that's okay, or that that is in some way something that could be sanctioned or regulated, or so, it's just nonsense, because what it is saying is um, men need, biologically or culturally, in at least certain situations, um, unfettered access to do what they want to women's bodies. And that is not the vision of, of a world that I that I want to live in. And that is not the same as saying, well, we do nothing for prostituted women. That's about saying, as the British Labour movement did in the 19th century, when they were thinking, well, hang on, it's probably not a great idea for pregnant women to work in places where there are toxic fumes. And it's not absolutely fantastic for children to be pushed up chimneys. Oh. They didn't just say, oh, well, there then, you know, we wash our hands of it. You know, what you then do is, you you intervene, you create organisations and campaigns that stop those things from happening. Yes. And that's what you're talking about, is, you know, there are situations where we say, we're going to try to stop this from happening because it's just too exploitative. And and shame on, on Unison. Um, it, it's, it's a terrible betrayal of women and it's an endorsement of one of the most abusive practices and trades on the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Yeah, yeah. They are not standing up for women. I hope that you learned from that, that you were challenged by those arguments put forward by Selena and myself, and that at least it made you think.